0: So we've been going through the book of Luke the, and we've gotten to chapter 17 and as I was looking through you kind of get to a point where we finally have kind of hit um, at least a transition in in one sense. Um, we, we saw how he was going through when he was talking to everybody and and, and kind of teaching and they weren't really traveling around so he's, he's just talking and, and talking about the whosoevers that can come, how, how the call to be a disciple goes out to whosoever. And then looking at the cost of the discipleship, the mission of being a believer from being about the lost, perspective on our possessions and the things we have. And then, you know, we're right at that point that we saw the Pharisees get upset because they were lovers of money and kind of interrupt him. And then he gets back and, and gets to, because of the interruption, the seriousness about this life and how we spend eternity and how the things in this life are going to have a heavy bearing of eternity and, and the reality of, of life after death and, and sin and hell and those things. And then he gets into how there's going to be offenses and how we can be, like we were looking at last week, a stumbling block. And how um, we are to watch ourselves, that we do not cause each other to stumble. And that we are to be forgiving with truth each other and repenting you know even if your brother comes to you seven times in a day to continue to forgive him and and really how we're to love each other and act in the body of christ and then we see the the response he he tells the story of the servant is what we looked at last week and how a servant comes in from the field and he's been working all day. He doesn't get into the house, sit down and be served, but then he serves the master and he's expected to. And even at the end of the service and helping, he isn't even expected to get a thank you to do what he's called to do, his just service. And as believers, we are called to do and serve and it is our our proper response to be a servant and not to go in with this thought of I'm to be, you know, get some kind of reward for service or or even per se a thank you in that sense. But it is our just service. We are called to be servants. And and the heart of a servant isn't to do anything with an expectation of a reward or of anything like that. Even though God does reward us and he does bless us. And then, so he goes from this and it says, now it happened, in verse 11 says, now it happened when he travels... To Jerusalem, he passed through the midst of Samaria, of the Galileans. So he is is now moving. It went from talking and him sharing these parables and these things to moving. So there is a transition. But in the scripture, the way it is laid out in this next uh, scene, we kind of see here this this, if you would, real-life teaching opportunity that now comes into effect. So he's talking about previously about what is our just cause to servant. And a servant is called to serve and doesn't get a thank you at the end of the day. That's what they're supposed to do. And, and, you know, that's their, their thing. And so as we, we come into that, there is a transition, but there's also really a kind of real life, kind of in the same theme, teaching opportunity Jesus kind of uses here. And we're, we're going to look at, um, the response of these leopards. There's, there's ten of them that get healed. One comes back and his heart, the, the correct response to it wasn't even just a service but a form of even worshiping for what was done. And so we see that and we're going to look at that and, and we kind of see if you would two things we're going to kind of look at the, and, and almost the differences between God's mercy and God's grace and it, how it applies to our lives. And so we see that he's traveling up to Jerusalem. This is towards the end of his life. He's headed up there. The triumphal entry is coming. He's headed up to Jerusalem from the area of Samaria and Galileans where where he was. And on the way as he's traveling through Samaria, through this area, um, which, again, the Samarians were not considered... highly regarded or regarded very much at all by the Jewish people they were when Babylon came in and and gutted the nation of Israel and took everybody captive after they took them captive they were having problems in the land and they assumed okay the gods of that land are mad we need to send some people back to show the people how to take care of it what Babylon typically did is they took a people they took you out of your country they put you in a foreign land and then that way you were disoriented. You didn't have anything to fight for. There wasn't any heritage there. And in this case, they took them out. They put another foreign people back into the land. Those people were having a hard time. So they decided to send some Israelites back to the land to help kind of appease the gods in their sense. And, and that's how we have the Samaritans. They're this, this group of people that were left in the land that were not of the full-blood or lines who came up with a kind of corrupted way of worshiping God with the Jewish laws, but, but weren't there. So they were, if anything, to the Jewish people, a reminder of a past felling. And then they didn't have it right. They were not with, withholding. So they were really looked down on to where most Jews, when they travel up to Jerusalem would travel a couple days a longer journey around to avoid the samaritans to even walk through their area their their towns and so we have Jesus he's in the midst of this area he's on his way up to jerusalem in this in this place of samaritans you know and in verse 12 it says Then as he entered a certain village, there were met him ten men who were leopards, who stood afar off. So you have ten people as he's going through this village, you have ten of them. They're standing there and they're standing afar off, which was part of the law. They could not approach, depending on which way the wind was going, would be how far they had to stay away from a crowd. They would have had been yelling unclean. They were total outcasts in that sense. And so they stood afar off, and so they met him. They're, they're there. And again, leprosy, we kind of talked about it back when we looked at uh, leprosy in, I think, chapter 5, when Jesus tells the leopard there and the man who was, the term was full of leopard. We don't know... Luke gives us no hint of how progressive this disease in with these men. Okay, the, the one in chapter five was full of leprosy, which was meant literally the end stages. The appendages, fingers are gone. You, you're really bad off, you know. And so this one, maybe they're all all different stages of the leprosy, but they had a standoff. And again, this is this is this is being alive and dead. This is living dead. I mean, your family, everything you know, you're cut off from, you can have no contact with it. You, you, you're, you're still there and you're now living in a situation where life is just going to get harder. There is no hope. You're, you're, you're destined what happens with leprosy is your, your, the disease, of the? It, it gets into your outer extremities, usually first the cooler areas, your fingertips, your nose, the things that your body does not keep warm easily. It progresses there quicker. It kills the nerve endings. Rats would come, chew off your finger. I mean, it is a horrible thing. And if anything today, you get all these zombie apocalypse movies, it is a real picture of what leprosy looked like. Do not Google it, it is gross. And, and and yeah, rough. I mean, and it's still to this day, it's an uncurable disease. They can slow it down, but it, it is uncurable. And actually uh, looking at some things online, it is a concern because we are so unused to it. It takes about two years to diagnose. It doesn't transmit fast. That's a good thing because we have like 250 cases in the United States every year still of leprosy, which still scares me. But the thing is, it's not something they're looking for. It's easily seen if you were looking for it. We just don't look for it in ER anymore. And again, you have to be around a person for a long time. It's really hard to transmit in that sense that you'd have to be really living in close quarters, but it's scary to think about and what would happen to this person who was going through it. and. It became known as and compared to in Scripture many times with sin. The thought was if you had leprosy, it was some kind of sin. You're being punished for it. It was judgment. And, and sin is very much like that, though. The Scripture does compare those things to leprosy in that sense. And, and you know, it's interesting. You can be living in the world, and as you become numb and numb, more numb to sin, things happen, right? You end up harming yourself. You end up doing things that end up costing you greatly in the end, cost your relationships can cost you your life it can cost you you know you look at the drug use and where those things go and the things you slowly become numb to and not resistant to and and later in this chapter as we'll look at next week it, he kind of addresses that with Sodom and Gomorrah and some things of, of where the culture went and the things that were allowed and how the culture was okay with sin and became numb to stuff you know, and, I, and you know, the, some of the stuff with me, I mean, you look at TV nowadays, try even try to find a show to watch, it's scary. I mean, you look at the one of the biggest whatever shows, whatever everybody was crying about, the Game of Thrones, things straight out pornography. Sorry, it's pornography. There's no way I'm watching, it. you know, there's just nothing, you know. If you, you know, they have devices like ClearPlay and stuff that weeds that stuff out. I think you would have five-minute episodes if you did that. To, I mean, you, there's nothing left. It's all bad. And the world is numb to it. It's not, a, it's not a big deal. They don't even think twice about it. That's kind of the culture. And so you can see sin spreading in this way and us to be aware of it and, and kind of, you know, how it mimics, I guess, in that sense, leprosy. So we see this, and they sit there. They're crying from afar off. They're standing there, and they're crying out. And in verse 13, and they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus master have mercy on us so they're crying out and they're speaking out you know jesus have mercy on us now they've probably heard i mean this has to be news of the man in luke 5 who who jesus had healed right if you are dying of something that is uncurable and one person gets cured your ears are going to perk up. You want to know what happened. You want to know that doctor. I mean, in, in the areas where the leopards were living in their colonies, this would have been common knowledge, you know. So you have ten of them out there. They're seeking, you know, they're crying out, Master, have mercy on us. And it's interesting because we'll learn later that one of them's a Samaritan. And that leaves us to assume at least some, or not if all the other nine were Jews. It's amazing to where two groups of people would had nothing to do with each other. Nothing at all to do with each other. In this state, because of this disease, it no longer matters. They do not care, there isn't, a, you know, when you're sitting there and you're dying as a leopard, everybody has rejected you in the world. There, it doesn't matter what you were before. You could have been a king, it, what you were in the past, it doesn't matter. None of that matters. There's one problem. You are dying of something that's going to take you out and destroy you. And the guy next to you, he's going through the same thing. He's a, you're, if anything, you're only companions. It doesn't matter what he was, what his political views were. They weren't sitting here, you know, concerned about anything else. Their, own concern, their only concern is, if anything, taking care of each other, trying to survive, limit the pain. And at this moment, there's a savior, there's an answer. Their only other concern is here, there is one answer for us, it's this guy. And it's interesting to see when you look at that in this life and when there's sin in this world, if you have a proper perspective of the thing that ails man and how destructive sin is, nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. It doesn't matter what race you are. It doesn't matter. We are all sinners going to hell. And we need a savior. There is one answer. That's the only thing that matters. There isn't going to point when we get to heaven. It's going to be like a class reunion. You know, hey, like what did you do before we got here? It ain't going to matter. We all deserved hell, and we all got saved by the same person. And it didn't, you know. Doesn't matter. And that's where we really, when you slow down and you look at and take sin seriously, it should concern us like that. We shouldn't have a heart of, well, this person or that person or their political view and, you know, can God really save a and, and fill in the blank for as a Democrat, Republican, whatever you want to, just a politician in general, you know, whatever. You're thinking it doesn't matter at this point and these men sit here and here they are crying out to God which is kind of a prayer if you would. They're they're crying out together in unison, right? Master, have mercy on us. And it's interesting Really interesting how Jesus responds in verse 14. It says, And so when he saw them, he said to them, Go show yourselves to the priest. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. So he sees them there, they're they're all crying out, and he says to them, he doesn't touch them, he, he says to them, Go show yourselves to the priest. Did he say, You're cleansed, you're healed? No, go show yourself to priests. Now here we have, again, the Old Testament. You have, in the middle of the the law, you have Leviticus sitting there. In the middle of Leviticus, you have chapter 13 and 14. The whole chapter 13 on how to diagnose somebody who has leprosy. Because that was worse than a death sentence. To make sure, go through, check again in seven days. All what would have to be performed through that procedure to declare somebody to have leprosy, to kick them out, to to disfellowship them to where their life is now turned upside down, where everything is just destroyed, every relationship. And then you have the book that was sitting there covered the scroll and dust of chapter 14 that is totally existent because there's only one person can heal a leopard and that is God. And here it's now been dusted off. Here the, the priest had to figure out how to do the ceremonies in this, because you have leopards that Jesus have healed coming in, cleansed, where we cannot heal them today, and they're sitting there before them as a testimony going, "Look, God is working somewhere. There is one cure. You didn't go to a priest to get healing. You went to a priest to confirm your, you were healed. There wasn't any ritual or anything in 14 that says, hey, this is what you do to be cleansed. No, this is what we do to confirm that you have been cleansed. Something only God can do. And so, what is so interesting here to me is he tells them to go show yourself to the priest. He doesn't cleanse them first. So there, there's a... There's, you talk about men and the faith this would take. I mean, for us... You know, okay, go, go, and I'm going to heal you on the way. What? You didn't make me better yet. I still got to go. I mean, I'm I'm short some appendages, and I got to walk. And I'm going to just trust. This is, you know, there's a level of faith. I'm going to go, even though I'm not healed, and I'm going to go before the priest, and I'm going to trust. But then I'm getting there. I'm going to be declared clean and healed. That takes some faith, and for us, it isn't as extreme as them. And those things, and not to say, you know, maybe they heard about the man again. Back in Luke uh, five, it said, you know, um, that account there says, and when it had happened, he he there when he had uh, happened, when he was in a certain city, behold, a man who was full of leprosy saw Jesus, fell on his face, implored him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, can you make me clean? And he put out his hand, touched him, saying, I am willing, and immediately leprosy left him. So, in this previous case, which these men, I would guess they had heard about, right, this leopard was made better. Well, how did he do it? Well, Jesus touched him. Right? If I'm one of the ten, I'd be like, wait a minute, touch me before I leave, right? It it, it would take there. I mean, I don't know about you guys, it'd be like, why are we going to the priest until we're healed? I'll go after, right? I don't know about you guys. Me, I have those arguments with God. God, you want me to what? But I'm not this yet, you know? And and what's amazing is how many times people, God goes, you know what? I want you to get in the Word. I want you to seek me. I want to do this. I want the, the Word of God to wash you, to make you clean. But I'm not clean yet. That's why I want you to get in the Word of God so I can make, but Lord, you don't understand. If I was clean, if I, you know, I'll become a believer when I get my life in order, straighten all my messes out, because right now I'm just a heathen, and God, you know, no. You cannot straighten your life out. You can't get rid of sin until God's part of your life. And it can happen. You're never going to be, well, let, let me wait until I'm ready. You know, I don't, I'm a little embarrassed. So let me, let me put on holiness that I don't have. So I have to deal with that too. Right. God's, you know, it, it's kind of funny. If I want to put on self-righteousness for God to come into my life, I'm just adding another problem to the top of it. Right. Like now you're a sinner and you're a sinner with self-righteousness. Now we've got to deal with that aspect. But he says, go, you know, and, I, and, and you think of the excuses come up, but these men have faith. I, they, they really impress me. They have this faith in God. And it's almost like they call out, master, master. And he says, okay, we're going to see if this is true. You call me master, it means you're going to do what I say. I'm your master, you listen to what I say. I want you to go. Right? And, and yeah, I don't know about you guys, do you ever... You know, you read a scripture and go, oh, yeah, I believe that, Lord. And God calls you out on it. And like, okay, then, then this. You know, it's kind of like the thing if you pray for patience, expect to wait. Dear God, I want patience. Okay, well, let's wait. Oh, God, I, you know. And, and not to discourage you from guys from worship by any means, but we sat here and sang worship songs. What if God called us out on the worship songs we just said? Do you really mean you're trusting? Do you really uh, you know, and so he kind of calls them out and they go though their, their faith is amazing in that sense of these ten men and they go and not just to go they're going before the priest where what was the last thing could you imagine if one event in your life took your family away from you took your finances took everything you have away from you that left you in a situation where you were dead would you remember that would that play back in your head you know, you, you, the, there was a movie back in the day, Castaway. When he, how many times do you think if you were stranded on an island because a plane went down, you'd remember the last time you said goodbye to your wife and your kids and what you said? The, the situation that added up to it. The, the, maybe I shouldn't have gone on the trip. You, you would have, those things would run through your head. You would have those memories dug in and they're going back to that place where everything was taken away from them and they're headed there without even healing yet. That takes amazing faith. The place where everything was stripped away. The place where everything was revealed. And very much sin can do that to us when it's exposed as well as you have a sin in your life, nobody knows about it. But when it is real, it feels like everything gets stripped away. And then people find things out and they don't want to have anything to do with you. And you destroy your families and you can repeatedly see sin take families out and, and leave people with nothing. Leave people hurting and those relationships gone because they've allowed a sin in their life. And In the same way, we know, here they're asking to go, to go, go to the priest, right? Go show yourself to the priest. The amazing thing is, who are they standing in front of? They're standing in front of the high priest, the greatest high priest of all, Jesus. If they knew this, they could have saved themselves a walk and say, You are the high priest. I don't need to show myself to anybody else but you. You're the only one that's got to declare me clean. It doesn't matter what the Jewish Sanhedrin anybody says. If you call me clean, I'm good. You know, and in Hebrews 14 or 4:14 says, "See that when we have a seeing that we have a gr- a great high priest who has passed through heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but in all points was tempted as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us therefore boldly come to the throne of grace, that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Again, that was Hebrews 4, 14. And our high priest, when we have sin in our lives and those things, and, and you know, sadly, it takes us many times to a point where something's exposed. Right? We're, we, we generally are pretty good at lying to ourselves about sin and something, the veil is ripped back, the truth comes out, you know, you have this horrible leprosy, it's called sin, and it's destroying us, but we don't need to go to a Jewish t- temple and go to that. We can simply cry out and we can boldly Boldly go to the throne of grace. It's amazing when you just think of that in that scripture. It's a throne of grace. Right? If you were found out that you broke the law, you're going to have to go before, in a sense, a throne. But it's going to be a judge with a judge on there, and there's going to be a sentencing. We're called to go because of our sin in that time of need. We are called to go to the throne of grace. We can go to the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and find grace and find grace. We're going seeking for mercy. These men wanted mercy. And I believe all ten of them received God's mercy at this point. And they boldly were able to go before that. And we can go to our high priest seeking mercy, seeking grace. And in verse 15 it says, And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God fell down on his face at his feet giving him thanks and he was a Samaritan or Samarian so the Samaritan man he goes with the ten they get there when they get there they are confirmed you're healed you're healed It is interesting when you think about that to go and then God's word is confirmed. I trusted, he told me, he was my master. And wow, doesn't that guys blow you away that God's word actually fulfilled? Right, sometimes we act like it never happens, right? (laughs) Like, Oh yeah, I believe God said, really? You know, and I always joke around, and and my wife even uh, did me a t-shirt that says, uh, Genesis 1-1, get thee over it. You know, people go, oh, what's your favorite verse in the Bible, your life verse? Genesis 1-1, if I can get that down, if I can really get that down and live to that, I'm doing good. Genesis 1-1, God created the heavens and the earth. You know what that means? I didn't, I'm not God. That means also, when my city of Lodi utility bill comes, especially in another month here with the heat, they're not God. God's still bigger than the city of Lodi, you know. Yeah, God loves me means control of everything. Really, your utility bill comes, ah, you freak out and you forget, you know. I just slow down. God, you're in control. You love me. You created everything. And so we sit there and we look at this, and so he is healed. His God's word does not return void. Obeying him does not return void. And the proper response is he returns and with a loud voice, right, keeping him quiet, he falls down on his face and he worships and he thanks God. A Samaritan, the last person you would have expected to do this out of the group. Him being a Samaritan, we again, not definitive that all the rest were Jews, but there were Jews. The region, there would have been Jews. If you're going to a Jewish temple to be cleared clean, you would have been a Jew. And Jews were what? The nation of people who's supposed to represent God to the world. The true worshipers of the living God in the whole known world. They're the worshipers. They're the ones that they're. Part of going to the temple was part of worship. The whole reason you went to the temple to be cleaned was so you could be part of the nation again, be part of that worship again. But yet, the one who wouldn't have even going to the temple. Samaritans weren't going to the temple. They, remember the, the woman at the well? The woman at the well goes, okay, our father said we should worship here, you should worship there, what mountain, and all this. They didn't even agree where you should go. They didn't think, hey, we need to worship God in a temple. We're fighting over mountaintops. Why should we go to Ju-? this guy, right? Did he say, I mean, he's there with the ten, he should say, wait, what temple do I need to go to? My temple or the Jews? You know, he goes to the temple. God meets him there. He's the only one that shouldn't be expected, or anybody would have ever thought, to worship God. And nonetheless, in a Jewish mind, he would have been the one who lost the least. He was a Samaritan. What? He didn't even have that good of a life to begin with. You know, he was a wretch. He's just a sinner. You know, a half breed. What? You know, yeah. He came. Nobody. Would, you know, nobody in Jerusalem would have been. Oh, poor Samaritan became a leopard. Nobody would care. And at the same time, most people said, Ah, oh, he's the last, You know. God cleansed him, but he didn't make him a Jew. He's still a Samaritan man, you know? Didn't come back in the new some Jewish man. No. Still, you know, in most people's mind, he didn't even have the most to gain, but yet he's still falling on the feet of Jesus, still worshiping. Verse 17 and said, And so Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? So all ten were cleansed. All the same word was used when he touched the leopard in verse 5 of a cleanse. They are physically healed. Their, their physical elements are gone. They are made clean. So all ten went. All ten were made clean. They were all healed from their sin. Or not from their sin, from the, the leprosy, from what was destroying them. So, so all were made well. It's not their faith didn't fail. They, they, they did get their God... Did free him from that element, that thing pressing upon him, but yet only one came back and worshipped and at the same time you can sit there and go, well, obviously you know that wasn't smart, you should have been there how many of you, if, if you were stranded on an island for 10 years and somebody came along and rescued you after they rescued you, you got fed you got out of the hospital where you could think straight, where would be the first place you would go? I'm going home. Hopefully Heidi didn't write me off and get remarried. Hopefully the insurance paid us well. No, I mean, I, I want to, where's my kids? Where's my family? There, there's a hundred things. And then even after I got there and made sure those things went in order, can you see the things of life just start to press upon it? I mean, Heidi's well off. I haven't been home. I need to spend some time with her. I've been gone for 10 years. You know, it, it would probably take me a while and, and many of us, probably even me, without, without news media or anything, especially if you didn't have news media, would you go back and find the person who rescued you? At what point? It might take me a while to get around it, you know, because there's life. i got to take care of my kids. Now I'm back. we got to call the insurance. i got to get my driver's license back. i got to renew my marriage. All the, you know, and then I better start working to help support the family. I've been gone for 10 years. I mean, right, the celebration that would just go on. How many, how many family members would come over? How long would it take if you were gone for 10 years on the island came back just to run through your immediate family coming in over and visiting, you know? And some of you guys and your families, you probably want to go back to the island. No, I'm joking. <laughs> but, you know, you just think of the parade that would be going on. And then to find, even take the time to go back, you know, th- these men were there and it's easy for us to go, okay, God, you, you there. What is interesting is how, how, you know, as you look at this and go, okay, where would I be at? These these men were brought back to life from a living state of being living dead, and this man returns. It doesn't mean he maybe stopped and saw his family on the way, but he did come back. Enough toward Jesus is to stating the other nine didn't. It, 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 it's interesting to me how sad many people will take God's mercy. They'll come to God's for His mercy. God, I've blown it. I'm in sin. I'm addicted to meth. I'm addicted to this drug. I'm addicted to that. I made this horrible. God, I need Your mercy. Help me. And God is merciful. God is very merciful. I can't think of a time anywhere in Scripture where God is not merciful. I can't think of a situation in anybody's life when they've called out to God that He has not been merciful. But yet... These other ten, even though they received God's mercy, ended up missing out on God's grace on more. They missed out on such, they missed out. And, and, and we, you see it as believers. So many times people are willing to accept God's mercy. They'll come and, you know, even if they come to church every Sunday or whatever, and it's like, well, you know, God healed me from this, and I'm not doing that bad thing anymore. I'm not, you know, I've stopped, you know, God saved me from murdering people and I don't murder people anymore and I make a good living and I help out and, you know, and I I show up to job every day and I'm now a productive member of society. What's your problem? Why do you still get on me that I'm supposed to, what, go to church, read my Bible every day? I'm, you know, everybody around me thinks I'm a lot nicer guy than I used to. I'm not killing anybody anymore. I mean, kind of, it's sad to see. And it's like, well, yeah, but no, he didn't just... He wasn't just merciful to prolong your life. He desires a relationship. There needs to be a response. If you think about in Scripture, you know, when it says you're cleansed, it's just so much more. Look look with me at verse 18. Verse 18, it says, were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? The last one you'd expect. And he goes and, and He's thankful, he returns. Verse 19 and it said, and he said to him, Arise, go your way, your faith has made you well. This your faith has made you well is whole. Your faith has made you whole, complete. It it speaks of more of being free from sin, a faith, a saving faith, a a, a difference, something that others all lacked. Not to say, if you just receive God's mercy, you're not saved. This isn't a doctrinal thing about being saved or not saved. But really, when it comes down to a relationship, you might receive God's mercy. You might accept his forgiveness. But if you're not a worshiper, if you're not on your feet, you're going to mess out on God's grace. And grace and mercy are two words, I think, that are kind of hard or are not understood well. Mercy is, you know, I've, I've heard the illustration and share it, uh, you know, mercy is when you're cruising along in your, your 1984 Toyota Corolla with a couple holes in the seat, but since it's a Toyota Corolla, it's still running even though everything else has fallen apart on it. And you're cruising along, you run a red light, and you T-bone a brand new Tesla, and you don't have insurance. And you get out, and the man's there, and he looks at your car, and he goes, man, um, obviously, you got, you're not financially well off, I notice you don't have insurance, don't worry about it. I'm not going to press charge, I'm not getting your license taken, or I'm not just, I'm going to take care of my car, you take care of your car. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Not getting what you deserve. Grace is when the man gets out of the car, he looks at your car and goes, whoa, yeah, I noticed that, here, I'm going to get, let me, let me, let me, don't worry about your car." We're going to take care of my car. I'm going to get you a new Tesla too, because you really shouldn't be driving that thing around anymore. That's better on gas. Let me let me bless you with what you you didn't you know I didn't deserve it, didn't earn it. I'm going to bless you with a Tesla. That's grace. That could be grace of man. And this case is with God. Is let me bless you with a Tesla. And more than that, I'm going to be involved in your life. I'm going to help you get insurance. I'm going to, I want to be your friend. I know you just hit me, you have no insurance, I should be really mad, but actually what I'm going to do is give you what you don't deserve, and then on top of it, I'm going to give you more than you deserve, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to give you what you didn't earn, and I want to know you. I want to to actually get to know you, I want to care about you. And that's what God does with us is here we've wronged him. We've fallen short and all that. And he doesn't just pl- apply mercy. Who wants to be gracious? A good example of that is you guys remember there's a woman who had a flow of blood issue. And Jesus is pushing through a crowd. And she had this issue for years. She's pushing through, He's pushing through the crowd. And she's thinking if I can just touch the corner of his gown he's going to be healed. And so she touches the corner of his garment and she's healed. And Jesus stops. Remember, nothing important was going on. There wasn't this Jewish leader whose, whose kid was ill, and by the end of this little you know, conversation, it's dead. You know, he wasn't in a rush. You know, I've got to get there. I'm going to die. In this case, that was the fact. Right? And Jesus takes the time to turn around and find this woman. Why? Because he wanted her to know him. It wasn't about her just being healed of the element. He wanted to know her. She wanted to have a relationship. He wanted to make sure that it was nothing to do with superstition or the corner of his garment. It's about a relationship which is going to heal you. That is more important than the healing. And in this case, to him, this man being made well, this thing was more important and it grieved him. It bothered him that the other nine that were called a nation called to worship Him, we're not going to worship Him. Because really, what is worship? Worship's a relationship. It's a genuine relationship. You know, it, it's, you, know you, you sit there and go, well, does your wife worship you? I can say, yes, my wife worships me. Not then. I get home, she's got my pipe and slippers and, whoa, Tim, none of that. But she loves me, she cares about me. You know, when I run into the bathroom and I'm covered in dirt, she knows I'm going to need some clothes. She, you know, that's a form of worshiping and caring about me, knowing my needs, loving on each other. That's what worship is. It's having that relationship, being intimately knowing each other, knowing he, your needs. That was what God desires in worship: thankfulness. And this man comes and he thanks Jesus. He cries out with a loud voice. He is on his knees before Him worshiping he's falling down at his feet it's interesting when you look at things and go you know growing up in the church many times it kind of made me jealous i you know not to say i thought i had to go become some great sinner to be a a good christian it seemed like it sure enhanced your testimony right yes i used to you know murder people now jesus came to my life and i'm you know you know what did you do i grew up in the church and god's always been faithful That's a lame testimony. At least I thought when I was a kid, till you realize, wait, no, I grew up in the church and God's always been faithful. God's always been faithful. And I haven't been perfect. Actually, that poor guy that was out doing drugs and everything else, he didn't know what was right. I grew up in the church knowing what was right and still did wrong and he still loved me and was faithful. You know? But you sit there and you look at those things and you 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 kind of jealous because you see this worship, this response, and you go, Have I become cold to that? Have I become cold to that? Oh, yeah, no, Jesus saved me from drugs and everything else. It was amazing that, you know, he took me off this and these addictions are over. Has anybody ever struggled with a sin, a life-dominating sin in here after you've been saved? Okay, we're all going to get on Facebook, put down what it is, and thank God for it. No, I'm joking. But you, you're right. Do we praise God for those things? Are we just excited that he still deals with us? Or somehow we get like the spoiled child, of course God's going to, Forgive me and bless me and he's going to, you know, if anything, we argued about the sin. I don't know if, you know, I know it's unbiblical. And, you know what I mean? And then we whine and it's like, okay. You know, you ever give your child a gift and, they're, and it, you're like really excited for them to be excited about and they're like, really? It's the wrong color. It's like, did you realize what I just get, you know, how many kids would be happy, that's it. We're sending your iPhone to Africa where kids are starving with your food, or whatever. You know, it, it's hard sometimes when you have that response and you realize, but we can get that way with the Lord to where suddenly we get to this point where we're not thankful, we're not gracious, somehow we forget that we deserve to be in hell now. That we're that leopard, and God's healed us. We start to think differently with those things. Instead of slowing down and we forget that he's been merciful for us and, then, and that he's been gracious with us and that he desires that relationship. He delights in our worship. He delights in our thankfulness in those things. And you see his response here and how heavy that is. It's kind of interesting. Matthew Henry one of the commentaries, you know, looking at this and going, man, am I thankful for God and and these situations and everything else, you know, and he he had his wallet stolen, so he decided to write down something, he was, what can I be thankful for in this, and, you know, his first thing was, well, I'm thankful they didn't take my life when they're stealing my wallet, that's good, you know, I can think that, I'm thankful there's not a lot of money in my wallet when they stole it, you know. So that's good. And then he came up with, I'm thankful he didn't steal somebody else's wallet. Somebody else could have, you know, 60 bucks could have destroyed them financially. Me, I, you know, I can bear it. God's going to take care of me. I have faith. I'm not worried about it. God's bigger than it. But, you know, thankful he took mine. And so you you look at those things and you go, thankful. And not to beat you guys up, because I am horrible. The reason, well, there's actually, to be honest, two reasons. But one reason I have a Facebook page with my wife is so that I have a Facebook page. Like I would probably never go on it, it would go extinct. Nobody would know I exist, nobody would friend me, that's for sure. That's the other reason. No, the other reason is it sure helps to have accountability in that sense. People go, Well, who cheated on you? Who? That you guys have a joint Facebook page. No. I just don't like, you know, old friends saying, Hey, how's it going? Are you happily married? So anyways. Side note. But when we post things on Facebook and prayer requests, I, again, I, I read stuff more than I actually take the time to respond, and I probably shouldn't read it because I'm in the car a lot to begin with. So when I don't respond to your prayer requests on the church thing, just remember Tim's probably driving and Heidi's praying that I don't. So, um, but, you know, she'll, she'll respond to stuff. But how many times do how many prayer requests do you think, if we were to go back through the Facebook page and we look at the church Facebook page, how many times have we put prayer requests, over how many times we thank God for how many times He's answered those things. We, we, it's like, oh yeah, you know, you're praying about this, praying about, and sometimes because I'm so not on Facebook all the time, you know, people like give updates in the comments of how things are going, and and sometimes I'll I, I'm kind of careful talking to somebody because they, you know, oh yeah, I found out. This and this and this is going on. And there's major things going on in their life. And I'm like, okay, I'm praying for that. and remember to pray for that. But I haven't read the updates. So God could have done a miraculous miracle. I'm still praying for you. And so I got to be Sometimes Sunday. It's like, hey, how's that going? You're like, what do you mean? That was a week ago. That was so over it. You know, so anyways. But, you know, not to say I look at them all. So if sometimes you do praise reproach, I'm not getting on you. But the thought is, are we thankful for what God's doing? Do we look at those things? Do we view our sin any differently? You know, most of the time, sadly, I can view my sin as more of an inconvenience for me in serving the Lord and something I have to deal with, and I really don't want to, and I'm reluctant. Than looking at it as something that was going to take me out and destroy me, and and, and totally ruin me, and and having that proper view of what that is. You know, we we can get lax on these things. We can get and and then and. I think honestly, when I have a lack of worship and a lack of thankfulness in my life, it's because I have a wrong view or a slight view or, or an acceptance, if you would, of even sin in my life. You know, it, I'm mourning my sin, instead of praising God, it's gone. I know I'm probably the only one that's ever done that in here. But that's just being truthful, right? I can sit there and go, yeah, I shouldn't really be doing this, and I'm praying for God's strength, and I'm getting his word, and I'm doing good, and, you know, and, but man, you know, I know the car payment would have been too much, but I wish I had that car still. No, I mean, whatever it is in that sense, you can sit there and, and, and be reluctant instead of realizing what sin is and how destructive that thing's going to be, especially. We're not, t- we're not saying, oh. Uh, I could sit down, we could go through scripture, and you guys would, I mean, we'd be all overwhelmed with how much we need to grow in sin, right? More importantly, if God is telling you you've sinned in an area, he's dealing with you on it, he's giving you the strength to overcome it, and he's still doing it, don't look back at that sin. Praise God that it's gone. Because there's the yeah, other sin, we're always going to continue to grow in our lives and those things, but if God has pointed something out in your life, it's because it's dangerous. It's because it's gonna cause you harm. You know, when you, when you have a young child, there's lots of areas they need to grow in. And you know, we've talked about this before. There are lots of areas they need to go in. Generally, you have to select what things you're gonna discipline them in for their age and their appropriate, how, what's appropriate for them. You know what I mean? you look at a young, young child, where they go to the restroom at isn't a big concern. When they're 19, it becomes a big concern. You know what I mean? There are certain things and levels. And, and, and God, when if he's pointing something out in your life, slow down. He's taking it serious. I, I, what amazes me is when I go through the Scripture and God opens up the Word, and I go, man, i got so many areas I still need to grow in. And God's going, yeah, but this is the one. This is what's important now in your life. This is now what's important in your time. And, and, and I can argue with them over it. Well, let's deal with some other things first, you know. You know, I know you, you know, I, you know I'm 18 years old and I, and I need to use, you know, stop using diapers, Lord, but I want my license. Can we deal with getting my license? Kind of that's how odd comparison if it would be or even worse, you know. You know, I know this gun is loaded at my head, Lord, but can we talk about something else? I mean, you notice my shoe's untied. I could trip. Yeah, you could trip with a loaded gun. So let's get the loaded gun away from your head and then tie your shoe instead of trying to tie your shoe with a loaded gun. I mean, that's me. I don't know about you guys. That's just me. I like to, you know, argue with God over stupid things. Instead of rejoicing, instead of slowing down and praising God for those things and taking the moment, um, and I don't have the reference on the scripture in my notes, but in the Bible, and in verse eight of a book, <laughs> I remember where this at. I think it's Ephesians five, but it says for, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in goodness, righteousness, and truth. Find out what is acceptable to the Lord, and have no fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them, for it is shameful to even speak of those things which are done by them in secret but all things are exposed and are made manifest by the light for whatever makes manifest is light therefore he says awake you who sleep arise from the dead and Christ will give you light seeing then that you walk circumspectly not as fools but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. If you were to sit there this morning and look at what is God telling you, go to the priest. Go. You're crying out for mercy and God's telling you to go. God, this area, I need mercy, I've blown it. He's saying, go. But don't wait. Go. The Bible says we are once children of darkness. We are to believe children of light. James gives all kinds of imperatives. Stop this. Do this. It's all in the military terms of command. It's like a drilled sergeant. The whole book of James. We are to be children of the light. We should be about truth. We should be about the righteousness. We should have nothing to do with the works of darkness in our lives. We should expose it. That means being accountable to somebody, being accountable to your wife, expose it, deal with it, lay it out before God. Those shameful things, don't be doing things in secret, expose them. Walk, you know what the word circumspectly means? Walk circumspectly, walk wide-eyed. It's like circumspectly, it's like having vision in the back of your head, something only mothers have with kids, right? You, you see what's going around you. You're aware, you're, you're, you're wide-eyed, you're focused, you're thinking. It's the total opposite of being a drunkard or numb. Your walk circumspectly, consider what's going on. Consider how your walk is affecting things. Not foolishly just going through this world, but being wise. Why retain the time? Because the days are evil. And as we look at this scripture, we look at the return of Christ and the kingdom of God next week, and you start to realize we are in a very evil time. And there are many things that are acceptable but between you and God and what He's telling you to do. He's not telling you to, to, you know, okay, we're gonna live by a list of rules and go that way. He's telling me, be current, be in a relationship. Live in his grace. Don't just don't just accept his mercy. Go to the throne of grace, boldly to the throne of grace, and accept his grace in those things. Praise him for it and go on. You know. I, again, I, be frank, me and I whine going to the throne of grace. God, do I really got to do with this sin? I like this. And, and, it's, and it, you know, we can, we can sit here and go, okay, you know, you guys are all thinking, okay, Tim's got some great sin we got to deal with. No. Some of the great sin I got to deal with is instead of spending the time reading a book or spending the time in the Word every morning, that seems to be the biggest, hardest thing lately in my marriage, getting time with my wife in the Word. And for me, it affects a lot of people. We have people in my house. We have people we're influenced. We have people we're ministering to. we got men staying with us. If I'm not current in the word, I only last so long. And I can can become a stumbling block, and it can be dangerous. So yeah, 30 minutes watching a TV show before bed can be bad for me. Might not be for you. For me, personally, it can be bad. It can be a problem, And then that little problem of not spending the time just in the Word with my wife. Literally, you want to talk about being on the same page, being on the same biblical page with how God's speaking to me and my wife and through her, it can destroy us just as much as that leprosy and sin. But God, it's just, you know, it's just this little season and the next season's on now and I've been waiting for it to come out. Or I do good for a while so now I can binge on it because it's all there. It it seems foolish, but I I can take those things way too lightly. And how many years go by of taking those things lightly? How many times have I done that in the past in my life where I've allowed little things to destroy my life? If, If I was to ask any one of you guys in here, what would you give your life up for? There are very few things. A TV show? I mean, would you trade a blessed life a, a godly wife walking together over a TV show I guarantee you most Christian families in America probably do I mean it doesn't you know, oh, you know and, and again I'm not going oh nobody should have TVs in their house or anything like that but if God's convicting you you can whine like me to the throne of grace and then pray pray and ask him and then praise God he forgave you of it and you can rejoice in that and you can sit down and when God starts to work in your marriage and work in you guys as a team in ministry which is about the most destructive thing you can see is when you have people truly walking in relationship with God and seeking God and, and the blessings that come with it you can rejoice God in what He's doing because you got to be a part of it. You know one thing we've, we've talked about repeatedly you know and, and just seeking and going okay not, not our vision or nothing like that but how is God called us as a fellowship, how has God directed us you know and we, we, we sit here and we look at it and go okay God's, God's called us to commission this, this church we are called to restore people into the family of God that's what he's been doing. That's the fruit of the ministry he's been doing. What we've been involved with, with uh, Tony Renee at Hope Ministries, what's involved in my house, my life, what's involved in the fellowship. And how, how, how do we do that? How are we called to do that? We're going to be intentional in our walks. And I know that's a buzzword, intentional. But it works. It makes sense. Intentional in your walk with Christ. We are not, I'm sorry, if you want to sprinkle a little Jesus in your life so it tastes better, you can come and you're going to be convicted, I pray, every Sunday because that's not how you live a Christian life. It's a hundred percent. It's every moment. There's nothing that's your possession. It's all His and we're going to live for Him. And we're going to live and the way you live intentionally is by sacrifice is involved with that. Loving others, taking the time to love by actions, right? Living it out, not just stating it, not just saying it, but literally putting the Word of God to to action. We teach the Word of God. We understand. We read this Word of God. We take the whole blessing that we have, the Word of God, and all these resources. We study the Word of God verse by verse. And we're going to suffer and sacrifice. We're going to suffer and sacrifice for family, for those who are lost. And then we share the gospel. Same way. By actions. Right? By sharing God's love unconditionally, regardless of the situation they're in. And we're going to share the gospel. Which, which sometimes you see those first two done. They're, they're really good at sacrificing and they're really good at, about loving the lost people and they're, they're going to love on them. They're going to serve those unconditional. Don't forget to share the gospel while you're doing it. You know, wow, this is really weird. You're really strange. I wonder why you're really strange. I don't know. You know, I just, you know, dropped this baby or something. No, sure, God got in my life and changed it. This is what he's doing, that testimony. And so I just encourage you guys, don't don't take that time lightly with God each and every day. Take time to worship him. You know, one of the things is I can remember, yeah, I need to be praying. I need to be studying his word. But I can forget to slow down and just thank him for things. You know, we wake up in the morning. We pray for our needs. This and this and this and this. We need these things. Okay. I get my walking instruction for the day. I get to the end of the day and it's like, okay, we're done, you know going you know, stop at the end of the day and just thank him before I go to bed. You know, for some of you guys, you might have less to be thankful for. Me, I have a lot to be thankful for. I mean, if anybody knows me in here, how many times I have gone to the ER in the past? That seems to be waning. You know, we I've I've worked all this week. We've I've worked pretty much on my house with projects for for good four days out back and forth between work and stuff. And I have yet to stab myself for any major bleeding or have to go to the yard. ER. It, it, it is a, an amazing track record. I am thankful for that. Believe it, you know, my wife is thankful for that. I still have more to finish, so pray for me, but especially pray for me because I don't think I have an express pass at the emergency room anymore, so to get in the long line. No. But you know, we slow down, we forget what to thank God for, those things. You know, sometimes a reminder is that, you know, you, you run into somebody that has a lot less or going through something so traumatic. Talking to Bob Scott in Orville where they've lost everything. You know, there's just no going back. And not even the ability not to go back, but to even start again. To be allowed to start again and to be, you know, where do you go? There isn't even a, a picking up the pieces yet. So, the worship team would come up. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for your word, we thank you for who you are, how amazing you are, how much you just desire for us to worship you, for us to be in a relationship with you each and every day. God, we pray we just um, give us our, your eyes for sin in our life, God, that we would take it serious, that we would not just be spoiled children, God, in the sense of how we respond to you, because you, you, you spoil us in many ways but with our sin and, and those areas that can just totally destroy us, God, we pray you'd just open our eyes to Him, that we would have your vision, that we would have clarity on who we are, what you've done on the cross for us, clarity on how you love other people and what you're doing in our lives, God. Help us to just just fall more in love with you not become numb or used to you at all. Just work afresh in our lives today. Amen.